Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash NBA show, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash NBA show for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Welcome to the Athletic NBA show. Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, I check in with Joe Varden inside the NBA bubble at Walt Disney World in Florida. And then Nate Duncan of the Dunked On Basketball Podcast stops by to talk about his NBA League Pass broadcast with Danny LaRue. And we preview the upcoming bubble games. This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nerdish You Wrote. I'm your host, Dave Dufour. Mo, Seth, and Nate Duncan will be joining me shortly. But first, we're popping back into the bubble to check on my man, Joe Varden. Joe, what's up, buddy? Hanging in there, ready to ready to get the season started. Yeah, aren't we all, man? Uh, all right, take me inside the bubble. What kind of stuff are you hearing, like from the court? Is it a a more immersive experience than it is for us on television? Because I can tell you, we can only hear Carmelo Anthony, <laughs> whether he's playing or not. Like I, you know, it's funny, uh, Dave, because I've gotten some questions about the TV presentation and is it going to change? And is it this and that? And the, and my answer is, I don't know because I don't, I, I haven't seen any games on TV. I think, I think yesterday I had the Grizzlies and heat on in the background while I was writing. It was the first day that I didn't go to a, a game the whole time I did practices instead. So, you know, so I don't know what you guys can hear. Um, what I can hear inside the arena is, is I can hear them argue with officials and hear what they say. Um, by and large, it's respectful, but like, you know, instead of like, you could hear like, you know, you missed that call or, or it could be, you missed that fucking call, you know, things like that. Um, you know, Frank Vogel is, it really rides the, the officials. Um, you know, he's like, that's one thing that you can hear. I think the biggest thing, like whether you're like me and you're looking for like the hilarious, like swearing and, you know, shit talking, or if you're just like, kind of there just watching for whatever is, is it's really obvious which teams talk on defense and which teams don't. And the Lakers talk and the Raptors talk. Um, and, and the Bucks do talk, although they don't have a lot to say when it comes to trash talk. Um, but then a team like the Celtics doesn't say anything. And then like the younger teams really don't say anything. And it's just, there's a stark, stark difference there. And, you know, you always talk about how so much of, of team defense in the NBA is communication. And I imagine you have to really bark it out when there's 20,000 fans in there. Um, but somehow it seems more pronounced in the, in the den of, you know, of a quiet gym. Well, you know, we focus a lot on coaching on this show. Uh, what about the coaching? Do you feel like the coaches are being a little bit more active than what we normally see in normal circumstances, maybe trying to make up for the lost time and, and get guys sped up by overcoaching, or do you feel like it's a good balance? You know, I, I think what I would say to that is that they too are um, trying to adjust to 
having everyone be able to hear what they have to say. And Nick Nurse has talked a lot about this. He's thought about either barking out instruction or even running a play, like calling out a play verbally and then not doing it because of what everybody else will hear. You know, I've watched Brad Stevens call plays all the time, especially when Kemba's not out there. He'll just say, you know, Gordon, you take it. And then he'll call horns and, and, and say what side to start on. And so now everybody in the gym knows what they're going to do. Um, and, and you might think like, well, that's a real disadvantage. But I mean, the, the thing is, and people in the NBA knows, knows this, know this, is that by and large, everybody knows what everybody's doing anyway. Um, but, it's, but that being said, yeah, like coaches are, for the most part, like kind of watching what they say because they're just not used to this. Yeah. So uh, take me into these practices. Uh, do you see teams getting experimental in the practices, like playing around with different lineup combinations? Uh, you know, it, I mean, the most that we have seen in practice is with the Lakers. Um, we have seen them scrimmage. We have seen them really get up and down. You know, by and large, when we are allowed in, it's for individual work. Like guys are just working on threes or, you know, you know, dribble drive or, or, or foul shots, like one of, like any of those number of things. Um, so it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say um, that. I mean, the thing that we, that you, that you have to do, and this is just beat writing one-on-one is when you go in to any practice, you look for all the players especially the starters and you look to see which color Jersey everybody has on. So you're looking for injury and you're looking for lineup changes. Um, and so that's kind of the thing that, that, you know, you do no matter whose practice you're going to. Well, Joe, I know you're a busy man and, and you've got to get out of here. Uh, thanks for keeping us updated with the bubble diaries, man. I really have been enjoying them and it's, it's nice to get to see what's on the other side of the zoom call from time to time. <laughs> yeah, we turned the video on today. Now you can see my dull room, but uh, there you go. hanging in there. All right, man. Well, take care and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, look forward to it. And now back to normal business. Seth, Mo, what's up, guys? How we doing, Dave? David. Joining the show, friend of the program. Are we doing Nerder Friend? Is that the official hashtag of guests of the show? Nerder Friend? Nerder Pal? Nerdy friend? Nerd, well, definitely nerdy friend. Uh, host of the uh, Dunked On Basketball Podcast, Nate Duncan. What's up, buddy? Hey, great to be back. Yeah, it's been it's been too long. We had Danny on and we were like, after this, we will decide which one of you is the better half. <laughs> it, it, it sort of thing. That's that, This is really what you're competing with. <laughs> Nate. You got some big news, man. Uh, first of all, congratulations on this uh, this deal with the NBA. You're going to be calling broadcasts on League Pass. Uh, can you tell us about it? Yeah, they're doing a trial with a alternate announcing, really, for the first time. Danny and I have been doing this uh, NBA cast second screen where you mute your TV and sync up with us, and we do commentary for the last four years. But uh, the NBA is actually going to give us a shot really doing – casting of games on league pass so 2 30 eastern on friday i guess that'll be today as people listen to this magic and nets if you're a european listener right in uh prime time for you and then on monday spurs and sixers so it'll just be in the league pass app also available for single game purchase so if you ever wanted some alternate announcing options danny and i do a very hardcore approach really a lot of x's and o's we answer questions during the 
commercial breaks as well. And so this is a great way to let the NBA know that you're interested in having some more of these options. And hopefully those options could be us. We need more X's and O's talk in our broadcast. We need it. I kind of want to tie this into some of the some of the big picture stuff we're seeing uh, kind of early on um, in the shutdown. I guess there was a, a lot made of uh, of of some digital partnerships the NBA was was entering into. And uh, one of the things that uh, that Adam Silver talked about a lot was kind of moving away from the sort of one to many model of, of one size fits all kind of broadcasting consumption of the game. And I, I think like uh, um uh, efforts like this are are ways to uh, really enhance the the customization of the 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 experience of of watching and enjoying an NBA game. So I'm I'm all for it because I think you know between the four of us we've talked enough about some of the problems we have uh, with the presentation of the national game with respect to hardcore fans. And hopefully something like this can can really serve those deep diving listeners well. The final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando and are ready to get back on the court. While the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will be no shortage of excitement. And there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season. So get in on all of the action right now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is very easy to play. You just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. But if basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, There's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So, all right. Well, let's let's talk hoops because we actually have – regular season ish basketball to talk about. Um, and then the playoffs in a little over two weeks, right off the bat. I, I just want to point people to what is essentially a companion piece to this podcast over at the athletic Seth wrote 22 numbers to know for the 22 teams in the NBA bubble. It's a nice primer, especially for our audience, which is already used to going over there and finding all Seth's stuff. Anyway, um, it sets everything up nicely. It gives you some nice uh, storylines to watch for. We're going to start with New Orleans because they're, they're kind of the reason that we have 22 teams. We need to get Zion on TV, right? Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this starting lineup is plus 130 on the season. It's one of five five-man units with a scoring margin over 100 points. Uh, that's Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Derek Favors. Yeah, I think that uh, I don't think that their level of play is sustainable over a bigger span, but it is uh, indicative of I think the the promise that that people see in this team. Um, you know, Zion, despite having no training camp, uh, probably wasn't in peak shape when he returned. Was still a uh, a massively impactful force when he got on the floor and. Uh, with the talent they have, both with that starting lineup and also kind of the number of young players they have, 
Uh, it's hard not to say New Orleans is kind of the the team that is going to op- occupy that sort of next slot uh, until proven otherwise. Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, the the thing I think about when I look at the Pelicans and that line, that number is insane and absurd. It's just interesting too. In the same way as teams haven't really had a second look at this team or or a third look, kind of the way a, a batting lineup gets to go at a new pitcher. You know, usually by the third time around, they're like, okay, we kind of figured this guy out. So I'm, I'd be interested to see how that pl- would play out over a course of the entire season. Not to say that this isn't a hell of a lineup or anything like that. This is still a bunch of damn good players. Uh, but I'd be interested to see how that kind of shakes out. Yeah, you do think that maybe in a situation where teams have a little more time to prepare, that they could take advantage of having two non-shooters at the big positions. Uh, but, I mean, I think the truth of it is, even if you are kind of packing the paint, I mean, Zion is such a unique force in his ability to generate so many shots at the basket against pretty much all all but maybe three teams in the league uh, have the size to actually like really cause him problems uh, under there. But against everybody else, he's running wild. Even if you do have Derek Favors in there, the center coming over, he's getting there too late. You say, oh, you know, Zion can't shoot. We won't guard him. Well, if you give him a runway to the basket, he's just going to score. So, I mean, he, he is against the vast majority of the league. They just don't have an answer for him physically. And I'm not sure that there's a strategy to really obviate that if you don't have that unique personnel to match up with the unique force in Zion. Well, so Mo, I mean, like, how would you approach this on the court? I think minimizing the, the impact of Zion is the goal. Right. He's that he's the real ceiling raiser in that lineup. So what do you do? I mean, you can't just double him every time. You know, a lot of times I think in this scenario, it's almost like I'm going to let Zion eat and take every, try to take everybody else out. You know, I'll, listen, Good luck to the guy. He's got guarding. a big appetite, though, Mo. <laughs> yes. he, 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 does. He, he does. Something. He does. But can he can he can he <laughs> score seventy? Like you know, what, what's this? Like you know, I, instead of just kind of constantly throwing help at him, or just throw different looks at him throughout the course of a game. Whereas, all right, we're going to single cover him for a few possessions. Boom, we're just going to throw a random trap at him, and then go back to something else or or things like that. I think that might be how I would attack it. It's not an easy situation in that sense but they're just so deadly too because if you go double you have guys like jj reddick drew holiday lonzo ball all those guys who can hit shots you know especially in catch and shoot situations that it's a an issue and you have to be really sharp with your rotations and nate has said it already with you know if you leave a runway for favors to go like that's going to be a bucket so i just kind of think the attitude i take with with zion a bit is like hey i might just try to let him eat and see what happens from there how long does that last, though? You know, does he figure out, like, how to be a good enough playmaker that that you just – you can't do that? Like, he's able to create enough for others? I mean, probably unlikely in the next month. Yeah, but, this is, this I mean, is, is this immediate, next year? This, yeah. this is, the way I'm thinking <laughs> right. is immediate game planning for this and eight games and, and, and playoffs. I think that's how I would probably look at it. You know, the, next season's problems are next season's coaches' issues, not mine right now. So one thing that I would add to that is I think that Zion, you know, you, oh, wow, 29% usage for this guy. Like, clearly, you know, they must be running a lot of plays for him. Like, it's hard to generate that level of usage without actually possessing the ball a lot. But so much of what he's doing is just really quick attacks. It's, you know, where either they run him off a quick screen, like a cross screen to get him great position. 
It's transition where he's got great chemistry with Lonzo Ball. It's the offensive glass. It's cutting. And so, you know, he's almost like Anton Jameson like in his ability to just get open underneath, get quick shots, attack off the dribble. And so with one or two dribbles, those quick jump stops. So it's not, you know, the type of thing where like, okay, when they run play X for Zion and he tries to back down, okay, where's the help going to come from? It's much faster attacks and particularly at the pace that they play and so I I think that's really what part of what makes him so hard to defend is that he has these varieties of attack they move the ball really well they get in the ball in spots where he can succeed he's always an alley-oop threat he's always a threat on the offensive glass and so there's only so much you can take away when they're hitting that quickly with some of these actions yeah and he gets he gets deep post position in transition like he if he gets if he gets deep he's getting seal and he's got a really great touch i mean he, he's a, a legitimate problem that i don't know how you game plan for right now what, well, what know, team can the, match up with him the, the comparison that a lot of people had for him was charles barkley and when i've gone back and done some historical research uh, on barkley you know his usage you know percentage of, of possessions uh, that he finishes with a shot or a turnover when he's on the floor. Uh, Barkley was, you know, in like the mid-20s was about where he topped out. And here you have Zion in his rookie year on a team with a bunch of other threats, you know, in the 29% range. And that's just even before we've gotten into stuff where like, okay, they're going to use him as the big, uh, use him as the ball handler and pick and roll, that kind of stuff, like really put the ball in his hands and let him create. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible how much uh, he's able to generate at the basket. I mean, we haven't really ever seen anything like this, maybe since like Shaq or Giannis are the only two guys who have been able to score this much at the basket. To that point, uh, um, if you look, just look at, at rim attempts per uh, shots in the restricted area per 100 possessions, uh, it was only, you know, only a, the squib of a season that he played. But if you extrapolate that over the whole season, Zion would have the highest rate of that by a wide margin. Uh, he was attempting 19.8 uh, shots at the rim for 100 possessions. The next highest season anyone's ever had is 16.3. And like the, the last couple of Giannis seasons have been in the 15 to 16 range. So another quarter on top of, of kind of what, what Giannis has been doing in this sort of mobile shack uh, imitation that, that, that he's been doing. So, and that's again, without really knowing what he's doing. So, all right. So youth aside, because we know, you know, young players struggled struggle to have great success in the NBA. Uh, what are the limitations of that lineup? I mean, you know, there was a little bit of uh, you know funkiness with Brandon Ingram and Zion trying to figure out their roles together. Zion was fine, but Ingram, you know, saw a little downturn. I mean, what do you guys think about uh, the limitations of that starting five? I think off defense. Yeah, I think, yeah, off the bat, I'm just looking at them defensively. And I think that's where Zion's going to have to make the biggest leap, you know, as a player. We've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. I mean, defensively, schemes and things like that. He's 19. This is a lot being thrown at him. You know, you hope eventually he will get there. It's just there are a lot of times I watch and it's not even just the effort's not even there. And that's something that I don't care how old you are. That's something you could just try, like very slow to close out, very easy to attack in that situation and things like that. So that's where I would look first and foremost is defensively. That's where they got to kind of pick up and that's where the improvement's got to come from. And it's got to start with him. It's the, the rare player who shows 
less defensive effort in the pros than in college. You know, I still was a little bit less sanguine than some people about his ability to really move his feet and be a switch guy and stay in front of people in college. But you at least saw a ton of effort. I mean, what was he, two blocks and two steals in college? And, you know, I think he's like 0.5 blocks per 36 minutes right now in the NBA. And so I think that probably, I mean, he's a great kid. He played hard at Duke. I think that probably just goes back to not being in amazing shape uh, Mm -hmm. when he first came back and. Uh, you know, now he's had eight days away from the team, so that's probably not going to help him either. But he says he's still he's feeling much better than he was when he returned. So hopefully, we'll see a little bit more from him defensively. But yeah, I mean, he also kind of doesn't quite know what he's doing on that end either in terms of when to help, just the garden variety, rim protection, closeouts. I mean, you, you remember that play that he had in college? where he closed out to the corner and just got this impossible block on someone shooting a corner three. And we haven't seen anything like that at all at the NBA level. How much of that do you guys think is schematic? I mean, Mo, you know, clearly he didn't have the the training camp time with the team. He, you know, he came in late in the season. Like how much of that is just like being behind on what everyone else is doing? I think that's a lot of it right now. And just also understanding league uh, defenses in general and league offenses. And the other side of it too is, you know, they're better basketball players on an NBA court than in, in a college game. You, it, there, there's a whole bunch of different things, you know, what the game's faster for obvious reasons in the NBA game. And that, that takes a minute to adjust and deal with all of that. So, you know, everything we're seeing, it just takes time. It's not saying that he can't get there, but there's got to be an effort on his part to get that understanding and that IQ. Cause it's just not something that's, uh, it doesn't seem naturally ingrained. It's not as easy as it is in, as it was in college. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer body? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes have to be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. They've forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential Lawnmower 3.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. You can also adjust the settings on the lawnmower to get a link that you like and stay on top of it with almost no effort whatsoever. Inside the Perfect Package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC20. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. They are fantastic. So go to manscaped.com today. And use the code THEATHLETIC20. So let's look ahead for this team just a, just a little bit to next season. Which teams would you guys take over the Pelicans next year? 
There's a lot of people that think that this is a Western Conference Finals team next year. I mean, I think that is a big part of why making the playoffs for them this year is, I think, uh, as important as it is, um, is, and I think we're going to to get into this next, uh, you know, talking about um, what adjustments Zion and the rest of the team need to be able to make uh, when teams can start to, to to figure some things out, unlock some things out about them, seeing them three, four times in a row as you do in a playoff series. So getting those reps and then being able to think about and, and figure out how to counteract that. Um, I think if they if they do manage to find their way into the eighth seed, I think that's a big boon for them next year. And as of right now, there's maybe, you know, three teams that I would I would take above them as as more likely Western Conference champs. That doesn't mean I think that they're gonna be better than, for example, the Nuggets next year, but I think they have if they have more everything goes right upside. Uh, than a lot of teams that might be kind of better on average. I'm I'm pretty careful about the 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 next team, right? Every time we label a team as next, they tend to sort of just not be the next team. You know, the I was with the Clippers. We were the next team. The Golden State Warriors rose up. The we all pegged the Minnesota Timberwolves as next, you know, that that one year and they didn't really get there. I mean the only team to me that's ever been the next team and have gotten there was the Oklahoma city thunder. And that kind of only lasted so long. So it's, it's a little bit careful in, in that sense. I think it's too early to call them conference finalists or, or put them in there, but I, I have them in that tier of, you know, the next tier below the Lakers and Clippers, you know, assuming everything's stays the same with those teams for next season and nobody makes massive changes. I think that's kind of where I have them. I have them in that tier. I just think also the West is, brutally tough and you know they how how healthy will they be next year you got to always kind of worry about that a little bit with zion and now you know with the west as deep as it is it's just going to be an interesting thing i'm i'm careful to call them the next team though i see a a few long-term issues with them i mean i think with zion and with these guys who who like to push it in transition and ingram if this shooting is real. I mean, they're going to be among the best offenses in the NBA. I think that's very clear, unless they just can't get any shooting around those guys at all. But I think that they understand that they need to do that. And, you know, Lonzo's shooting improvement, maybe that could regress as well. That, that might be a pain point. But I think they're going to be awesome offensively. Um, the question to me is, you know, how much can Zion, when you really need to get a bucket, is he going to be someone who continues in kind of more of this steroid off ball role where he just you know scores a lot off of what other people are doing or is he really going to be the guy you're giving the ball to I think he can be that with his size and ball handling ability and then also where are Zion and Brandon Ingram going to end up defensively Uh, because you're just if Zion and and Brandon Ingram and that's your three and your four pretty important defensive positions if those guys can't come through to be at least average defenders, then you really need to put this big center next to Zion. That could stifle things a little bit offensively. You know, you're, you're looking for this unicorn who can shoot threes and protect the rim on the other end. You don't have the versatility to go small and switch everything, which you might need to do at the highest levels. And so uh, those are the two questions for me. And they're going to be great offensively in the regular season, regardless with this group. Uh, and then, of course, health, too. I mean, is the other one was the Zion in particular. Um, uh, so I'll add to that since I just thought of it as I was. Talking. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with all you guys. I think the offense is going to be excellent. They can't lose Derek Favors or they have to upgrade. All right. Our second number. 
for the for the restart is zero. That is the number of minutes that the Houston Rockets are slated to to play competitive minutes with a player over six foot seven. Uh, this is it is a wild doubling down on what they were good at. I guess the the main question is: Is it going to work in the playoffs? Like I, th- I feel like you've already framed it wrong <laughs> by saying no. Seriously, yeah, yeah. saying with is it going to work? I mean, you, the baseline is: Was the way they were playing with Clint Capella going to work? And is this more likely to work than that? And I, it's hard for me to not say yes emphatically that it is better. Like, are they going to be favorites against the Lakers or Clippers? No, the Lakers and Clippers have more talent. Um, but does this give them them a puncher's chance to kind of? style their way around that talent disadvantage, I think it gives them a chance. Yeah, full agreement there, Satha. I think that they're this is a unique way of playing, obviously. Man, I'm overusing that word. That kills me. Pull up at the source. Come on, Nate. Let's go. Especially because <laughs> people are people are super sensitive about using the word unique too. It's like, no, you could only use it when there's only one of them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's multiple small ball teams. It's, yes. it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but so with Westbrook almost ha- being their center in terms of where his shots uh, are coming from, they've got more transition this year. I think the two things that stand out to me is can James Harden be the best offensive player in the playoffs? You know, he has fizzled out at times against great, great teams and defenses. You know, maybe there isn't a team that's at the level of where Golden State has been the last couple of years for him to go against. Maybe also because he's had so much time off, he'll be fresh instead of being worn down from uh, chasing the scoring title and MVP uh, over an 82-game season. So that's that's not impossible. Is that impossible to you guys that he might actually be the best player in these playoffs? Is that is that a possibility for you? No, especially not healthy, fresh, like, I mean, that's always been the thing is he carries this huge workload for the entire regular season. I mean, and to his credit, doesn't take nights off, you know, whether the the motives are for scoring titles or whatever, I don't care. He doesn't take nights off. He goes hard, 82 games, and then he's just worn out by the time we get to May. So now, you know, with this break, I mean, he he looks like he's in good shape. I don't see any reason why he couldn't be. No, he definitely could be. I mean, he's in the best shape of his life. Uh, Kelly Eco wrote a great article about it in The Athletic of the training he went through during the quarantine and everything like that. I have questions of how safe it was to be doing all that. But that's a story for another time. Uh, the thing I look at with the Rockets that comes down to it is you know, they were struggling when they were coming into this the, the play stopping. Like they were dead tired. And that's because playing small ball against big lineups – does take a lot out of you, you know, and that's kind of a concern for me with those guys like, you know, PJ Tucker and, and Robert Covington right off the bat, their first games are the Dallas Mavericks, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Portland Trailblazers and the Lakers, all who play pretty big, you know, Dallas, not so much inside, but those other teams will all kind of pound it inside a little bit. And that's something that starts to take at those guys' legs might start to eat away a little bit at their shooting and things like that. So those are the concerns I have with them. And then their transition defense, even through the scrimmage, has been just god-awful. you know. And I don't know if they will be able to keep all that up with everything. And then now that they lost Eric Gordon for like a week or two, and he's relatively a slow recovery guy, it's not like he comes in pretty quick. 
Like I have a lot of questions for them going forward in terms of what they do. And I, and I think at the end of the day, if they match up with the Clippers, they're screwed because I think the Clippers would have a better small ball lineup than them. I want to zoom out a little bit on on something you said there, Mo, because I think I think you've hit on, on something very important for Houston, and I we saw this kind of prior to the shutdown is uh, they have to play at kind of a manic intensity for this to work, and I think um, maybe it's just being you know narratively cute, but they had some pretty ugly losses, and it's pretty easy to see. Oh, we play the Knicks tonight. And then not bring it, but they don't have the luxury of not bringing it because they have to fly all over the court. Um, on one hand, this is a very compressed schedule. On the other hand, there's no travel. And I kind of – it's, it's going to be fascinating to see kind of which is a bigger factor in terms of, of, of staying fresh, if you will, um, in, in you know a, a regular season and into the playoff settings. Uh, the more the lack of travel is a boon, relatively speaking – I think the better for Houston. So I think the biggest concern I've got is that when I go back and I look at their losses after the Capella trade, it's not just that the defense fell apart. Is it the and this is a component of defense, but their rebounding is awful. It is terrible. I don't know how they make up for that. And that is one one instance where their lack of size directly impacts their ability to actually get the job done. And they're to get out of the West. You're going to have to go through some big-ass teams. I mean, the Lakers are huge, and their small ball lineup is still really big. So yeah. it's not like – you know, it's not like you you can say, okay, well, we don't have to match them. They have to match us. Okay, so Anthony Davis is now the center. Good luck. I mean, the other bigger issue too is they just don't have any way to go back at it going like their response to this is, okay, a small ball is not working. Let's go smaller. They don't have – I mean, unless they want to dust off the cobwebs on Tyson Chandler's you know, knees and everything as old as he is and have him roll in or we're going to talk about Bruno Carbacolo being uh, a guy uh, that <laughs> yeah. can help them. You know, like I just don't – that's the problem, right? Like they just they're, – they're in that situation where they don't even have the ability to pivot if it's not working and going like, man, we're just getting killed on the boards. Can we get five minutes with the big guy? Like they don't even have that. Has it been four years for for Bruno yet? Are we there? Uh, are we talking about how long he had to be in quarantine? Or <laughs> <laughs> he might have to go back. I, my favorite story would just be him continuing to have to go into ten day quarantines for for stupid violations. <laughs> I mean, he might through. as well. Mike D'Antoni is going to play nine guys tops. I mean, we're going to see more Jeff Green at the five <laughs> than we are Bruno Caboclo. I mean, that that's for sure. I think if they just had one more PJ Tucker size guy to give him a break and when tucker goes out of the game then you don't even have like that one tough box out guy who can guard a little bit in the post and yeah i mean i think you guys make a great point that the lakers if you got lebron at the four and ad at the five and that's still so much bigger than houston and similarly i think the clippers small ball lineup can be a little bit better than houston's as well the the one thing i'll add though this is a more general point here I have a theory that we might actually see a higher quality of play this year. Number one, I think the biggest reason being just that these guys have had four months off. And to some extent, maybe they weren't able to stay in that great of shape, but they'll have time to ramp up here over these next couple of weeks. And to not have everyone tired, 
you've got more people starting off healthy, right? Like we don't have an entire year's worth of injuries that have accumulated. I mean, where, you know, you've now got from October until April for guys to accumulate season ending injuries. You don't have to deal with that. Now we have guys who have come back from that. I think you'll see guys fresher. There's also the, the lack of travel as well. Like I think it's actually possible. We're going to see teams playing harder than ever that might manifest in a little bit more defense, but you know, there's a, a that famous stat that uh, the first 15 games of the season per second spectrum is when players move the most, even compared to the playoffs because they are just so worn down by the end, I, I think we could actually see really, really good basketball here, uh, especially as we get into the later rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, yeah the scrimmage basketball has been actually better than I thought it would be. I, I really thought there was going to be times where us got awful, but it's been pretty good. But I want to touch on this point of lack and tra- lack of travel because both Seth and Nate brought it up. I don't know how big of a factor that is in the playoffs in the sense of, like, you know, except for the games five, six, and seven, but the first few games of the series, usually you're in that city for a while. In the first round, it's stretched out a, a large amount. You know, it's not the same in the regular season, whereas, like, okay, game's over, boom, get on the plane, fly out. You know, I feel like lack of travel matters more in the regular season than it does in the playoffs. Like, there are pockets in the playoffs where you're able to get rest. And it, sometimes maybe the time zone stuff screws you up, but that's more in the finals. I think for the most part in in that scenario. So for me, I'm not sure how much lack of travel will really be as significant as we think come playoff time, except maybe the finals. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, when you had a golden state Houston second round or Western conference finals where you're playing every other day and you're, you've got a four hour flight. Yeah. I think that's when it really would add up. Probably, you know, when you had in the East, if you had, you know, an hour and a half flight after the game or something like that, like that doesn't really matter that much. I, I yeah, but even so. even even that four and four hour flight or something like that, it's it's as simple as like there are teams that will still stay over after the game four and fly out the next day or things like that. Like yeah. you have a little bit of a different it's, it's easier to manipulate your travel schedule in the playoffs to make sure you get that the rest you want to get the guys versus the regular season where it's like, yo, we got to go boom, 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 get on the plane and get to the next spot. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, let's talk playoffs versus regular season. Uh, our last number is 26 and a half percent. That's the combined three point shooting percentage of Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe in the 2019 playoffs. Uh, that's quite a downturn from what they did in the regular season last year, Seth. Why? The moratorium is over. Why, the, why, Dave? Why? Yes. <laughs> Dave's Thank just you. trying to be Thank mean. Yeah. Of, of all the of all the numbers you could have picked that that I wrote about that that illustrate that difference, I would have gone with something positive. Like the Clippers only played with with Kawhi and Paul George on the court for about a quarter of their competitive possessions as being something that they could ramp up and do better in the playoffs. But in cho- instead, you chose to go negative. And to do so in a hurtful way. So, thank <laughs> oh, you. I, oh, Seth, I apologize. Uh, but but it, there is a difference, right? Like we we all know, like Draymond Green has talked about it. There's 82 game players. There's 16 game players. But is there also 82 game strategy and 16 game strategy? And I think that we're going to see some of that. Uh, you know, uh, the Rockets are an example of that potentially. The ability to catch somebody. Oh, wow. This is different. I don't 
what is that as they play all these, you know, six, seven and under guys. If you have, you know, if you played in Orlando last night and you're in Houston tonight, you don't have a lot of time to prepare that. If it's game three of a series, you know what that looks like. You know what the speed of play is. You know what they do. You have maybe figured out some wrinkles in terms of how you can attack. Um, and, and so maybe the, it's exploitable in that way. Um, from a, to go nerdy a little bit, it's a difference between uh, playing game theory optimal, which is against the, the possible universe of opponents, this is how we play. And this is very much the we do what we do and it works itself out philosophy that's become more common in the regular season. Then you get into playoffs where you're a specific exponent, uh, opponent and you start to play in an, explo- in an exploitative fashion, which is um, I don't care how this works against the 28 other teams. I care how this works against you. And I think there's some very different strategies and very different skills that can probably be brought to bear in those two different environments. Mo, I wanted to ask you this question. I, I posited this a bit ago on my show, and obviously this is reductive, but I, I the statement I made was the regular season is all about your strengths and the postseason is all about your weaknesses. Do you think that has any merit? Oh, absolutely. I think it definitely comes down to it because that's when teams get to really lock in on your weaknesses. You know, okay, they're not a good three-point shooting team. This is how we could take advantage of that. You know, it's different. Like the regular season, I always kind of look at it as the regular season is a time to build your philosophy, build on your strengths. What do you guys as a team want to do? Where where do you want to go? And things like that. In the playoffs, it's like you said, you get to focus and lock in on a team. It's like, cool. What do they do well? What don't they do well? How can we take advantage of that? You know, where can we hurt them? And a lot of times that's what it comes down to. It's it's where are your weaknesses? Where can we hit you? You know, and you, is it in the pain? Is it shooting, rebounding, whatever, whatnot? And then how do we exploit that? Yeah, it's uh, the analogy that I make is like you can drive this car that looks nice. It's got this awesome coat of paint on the street. You drive it back and forth to work. And then you get in the playoffs and all of a sudden that car is on a racetrack. And every time you get into a turn, you're slamming on the brakes as hard as you can. You're wearing out your tires. You better have enough oil cooling. You know, it stress tests every system of your team. And the team that I thought about that in context of the most is Dallas. Because we haven't seen Luka or Porzingis, their two best players in the playoffs. And so I want to see... What weaknesses are going to emerge in their games where Dallas is a dominant offense, best regular season offense in terms of points per possession uh, that we've had in raw terms? So that's uh, what do you think for those guys? If What are you going to try to exploit, see what they can do in the playoffs if you're Dallas' opponent? Just off the bat, I'm, I'm trying to get the ball out of Luka's hands and see how they handle it from there. You know, and, and Dallas does a good job of running things where they get Luca off the ball and then get it back to him. What happens if he can't get it back to him? How where does the offense go? How do they handle that? And things like that. Like those are the things I would start to attack right there. And then obviously we know defensively, n- not necessarily a, not a very good team. So I think those are areas where you would go at them. And I think just it, the way I look at it, Nate, in terms of the playoffs and regular season too, is just kind of like this is when the NBA turns into the NFL. Right. This is when coaching staffs get to sit there, game plan for a few days, how, how pour over film. I mean, I have I, it's not even next to me, but I have playoff books, you know, the size of, of binders that are 
full of different notes we you know we look at to try to take out teams. And I think with Dallas to bring it back there, you're just going to attack. Luca over and over again. You're going to trap him. You're going to blitz him. You're going to throw everything you can at him because you got to wonder, like, do they have enough, you know, outside of him? You know, can is Przingis going to start running the offense? No, Beret is not the guy. I, I feel like you could just hand it over to him and and he's going to win you a series. So they're they're in that tough spot, and I think this is where we're going to find you know how will they handle the pressure? Because I'm very excited to see both these guys in their first playoff experience. Well, this is where Seth Curry is extremely important for them. You know, he's one of the five best shooters in the league this year. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but he's doing it off the dribble, too. They're they're actually giving him more responsibilities within the offense. And that defense did change after Dwight Powell went down, you know, in part because they Porzingis was playing the five. You know, it opened him up a little bit. And so um, I, I don't know that they've got enough defense to actually do anything. Uh, but I, I trust that offense quite a bit. I think that um, one interesting thing to see is if teams sort of make the decision to go almost uh, with an attrition strategy against Luca. Um, okay, you know he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, just make him do stuff a lot. Make him handle against pressure a lot. Double team him a lot. Make him just just make him work and and. You know whether that's over the course of a game, over the course of the series, um, and and combine that with kind of you know running him off a bunch of screens on 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 defense, even if you're not going to his guy, just you know putting him in stuff and making him do stuff for as much as he's in the game, um, and see if that can kind of sap him a little bit uh, in his in in this kind of first pass through this environment. What about the Clippers uh, with with Lou Williams and and Montrez Harrell? Can those guys play beyond the first round of the playoffs? Not in not in crunch time. Not together. Not at the same time. At the in, in closing situations, I think that really becomes a problem for the Clippers defensively in terms of where you're going to go. And as good as Kawhi is, as good as Paul George is defensively, and let's assume it's it's Patrick Beverly they have on the court with with. Uh, you know, those three guys, like that's a tough scenario for them. And that's, that's difficult because that requires a lot of rotations and things like that. And it's not one of those things where we could say over time, Lou Williams has gotten better defensively. No, he hasn't, you know, and you're just going to put Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell both in the pick and rolls. And, you know, we know Kawhi actually as great as defender as he is. He's not a great help guy, you know, and I, I think he doesn't really do a great job with rotation. So that's another area where you get to kind of attack that team. I think that's something I don't think we'll see a lot of them together on the court in crunch time for the Clippers, maybe one, but it's tough to survive with both of them. All right. So Nate, we like to end the show every week uh, just with some notes on, on things we're going to be watching in the week ahead. Uh, what are you looking forward to see? Like what are some, uh, some things that you feel like will be important to, to accomplish in the next week? Well, clearly uh, the teams that are playing for the playoffs but already really kind of have their seating wrapped up, how easy are they going to take it? I mean, they're both in terms of national TV games, just from the, the TV product, as well as affecting some of the seating lower down. Milwaukee, L.A., those teams basically have their seeds completely wrapped up. Boston and Toronto are probably in the same boat. It looks like Clippers, pretty good position to hold on to the two, particularly with an easy schedule. 
And so those five teams, uh, on paper, there are a lot of teams that have really hard schedules. For example, Memphis plays the Bucks on the last day of the season. And, you know, given the way that Mike Budenholzer has approached things, uh, you might expect to see, you know, if everything has gone well, that they take their foot off the gas there. They also even could help determine who the Lakers are going to play in the first round if they wanted to do that, if they're looking ahead to, hey, let's try and give them a harder matchup, uh, you know, whether they're going to, uh, you know, so we might see some strategizing there. It wouldn't be past teams to do that. So that, you know, to what extent are those teams really going to be playing uh, those five teams and, you know, making life difficult on the other teams? Or are they kind of, eh, you know, we'll throw the guys out here for 25 minutes. Let's get our rhythm. But, you know, it doesn't really matter if we win this or not. Well, I know for starters, I will be listening to Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue <laughs> on the NBA League Pass broadcasts, uh, you know, and, and in terms of what I'm watching for, it's a lot of what Nate said. I just kind of want to see how coaches go about this. I think it gets interesting in terms of different ramp up ideas, you know, with these eight games, do you start out slow? And even if you're these teams with seating locked up. But you want to be kind of rolling into the playoffs, you know? Do you start ramping the guys up so you're you're playing at your best at that point, or do you just play it safe and hey, we're just going to take it easy? We want to make sure nobody gets injured. We want to, you know, there's a whole different. How do you straddle that line? All of those different things, and it's going to come down to two. Like, how do you? What's the seating's going to happen? Who's going to get screwed up? And I'm excited for the first few games, like Memphis, Portland. Jeez, like that's right off the bat. That's a a powerhouse. I got to think whoever wins that game has a chance to to steal that eight seed. You know, watching New Orleans off the bat, you know, maybe Zion plays, maybe he doesn't, whatever. You know, by the time this is comes out, we'll have known, but it's going to be an interesting scenario. So just off the bat, how those teams that are fighting to get into the playoffs, seeing how hard they go is something I'm really excited for. Uh, similar thought. This is one of the unique experiences we're ever going to see where we're really going to like be able to evaluate the degree of motivation teams are playing with. And there are reasons why some of the better teams are kind of going to be taking it easy at, at the start. And there are going to be some teams that have to go breakneck at the start. Then there are also the teams that are are there kind of making up the numbers. I don't think that there's a, a really a plausible route for, say, the Suns to find their way into the playoff games. Seems uh, like the they're going to try, though, actually, Seth. Yeah. No, the, and, and, that, and that was going to be my point is I've been, you know, like – backing out a little bit. I've been very impressed with how I you know, you don't want to damn with faint praise and say professional, but how useful they are they are they they are how much use they are getting out of this exercise in terms of getting quality reps for building habits for their team going forward, even knowing that they're probably in all likelihood just two weeks and out here. Um, and they're really so. So looking at them, looking at at uh, at the Wizards, maybe looking at at the Spurs, who have a have a pretty tough hill to climb if they kind of wanted to climb into the playoffs, and see how how those teams really approach these games as far as you know establishing good habits for the future. I think they're going to play hard. Uh, and uh, Phoenix, I mean, you've got a lot of young guys trying to establish uh, their careers, and I mean, let's not forget like. These guys have been sitting on their butts for four months. Like, I mean, these guys play basketball. They love basketball. Like, they're they're bored, 
right now, right? I mean, this it's a lot different when you have an 82-game regular season. You know, I think people have been far too facile in analogizing this to, you know, your typical late March, early April when teams are eliminated. I mean, even if you go to like summer league teams, like play hard just because it's been a while, right? I mean, they're not going to be sick, especially younger guys too, who are like, you know, they don't have like families at home necessarily that they're trying to get back to. They love playing basketball. They haven't played in a while. Like they want to get out there and play and play hard and continue to grow. And, you know, especially even if you're just like, all right, we're only here for like another couple of weeks, but this is all we've got until, you know, the only basketball we're going to play between, March and December, like, let's go out there and play hard and try to establish our careers. Now, if you have more veteran teams or let's say, you know, a Portland or a Sacramento fall out of it early and then, you know, those teams are just like, all right, we're going to play the young guys. But I definitely expect that at least the young guys who are out there are going to play pretty hard. And this is this is where I think the teams like Atlanta or whatever are super jealous to not be in the bubble. Like, this is what... Phoenix can really get out of it in terms of just continuing to establish culture and, and, and moving forward for, for next season. So I think that's something that uh, I'm, I'm excited to see Phoenix go at it with that kind of mentality in that sense. And this, this is what happens when you get to win games, you know, maybe Atlanta should try to you know win a few more next season. Uh, I'm going to be looking at the minutes load right off the bat. I want to see how long it takes these, these teams to get into their regular rotations and uh, I want to see what teams in the West especially really care about seeding. A lot of, a lot of coaches have, have paid lip service to the fact that they don't care. They're not worried. Uh, but I think that with, you know, either choosing your poison between the Lakers or Clippers, I believe some teams are going to, you know, they're going to have a preference. And so I, I really want to see how long it takes for teams to finish their ramp up, whether it's actually finished or not, you know, is debatable. But, you know, when are they going to be playing guys 30 35 minutes a night trying to win games. Um, yeah, if you're if you're Houston, Dave, you probably really want to be in the four or five against the Lakers rather than the Clippers. And obviously Dallas getting out of that seven. I mean, that to me, that's where the real fight is going to be is between three and six in the first round. It's probably six, one half dozen. The other, as far as who you're playing, um, you know, I might want to try to play against uh, OKC or Denver or Utah, obviously, instead of Dallas or Houston. I think those are the, the uh, the Titans there in that group, but really staying out of seven and avoiding the Clippers. I mean, that's going to be the big fight. So I expect all five of those teams to be going real hard right away. Yep. Well, that's going to do it for this week on Nerder She Wrote. Uh, thanks to Joe Varden for checking in from the bubble. And, uh, you know, I always thank Mo and Seth, but uh, special thanks to Nate Duncan. And uh, good luck on the broadcast, man. I, I'm going to, I expect to enjoy it. Thanks, guys. Yeah.